0: I'm Dale Benwalt.
1: And I'm Nuria martinez Kiel. You're listening to The Source.
0: Thanks for joining us as we discuss the Oklahomans' most impactful stories with the reporters who wrote them.
1: The Big 12 Athletic Conference is on the brink of collapse as the University of Oklahoma and the University of Texas prepare a multi-million dollar move to the rival Southeastern Conference. It's not very often that we get to talk about sports on this podcast, so we're excited to have two great sports writers with us today, OU Insider Ryan Aber and Columnist Jenny Carlson. Thanks so much for coming on the
2: podcast. Sure.
3: Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, Hopefully we won't be... uh too loud for you. Uh, <laughs> You'll want to talk sports again. Rmo MO over in the sports <laughs> department, but we'll have some fun with it.
1: We're looking forward to it. So OU in Texas officially requested to join the SEC this week. Ryan, this is a major shakeup in college athletics. Basic question for you here. Why are OU in Texas
3: doing this? Well, as, uh, as are most decisions, it comes down to money. When you're talking about college athletics and uh, OU made about $35 million a year ago from, from Big 12 revenue, and they, they made some more of that with the Tier 3 media rights, which are a little bit different from some of the other conferences. The schools control their own Tier 3 rights in the Big 12. But even with that, they didn't make anywhere close to $10 million, which is the difference in the uh, payout to the SEC. And that's the SEC with the 14 teams right now. The SEC with OU in Texas added the projected payout is 60 million dollars a year that is a big big leap and is the major driving force for this move now you know there's some other benefits the prestige of the SEC uh, the the uh, expansion of the college football playoff coming uh, probably pretty close after 2023 probably in 2023 to 12 teams that made it much more tenable for OU to make this move But it just comes down to money, and uh, OU and Texas stand to make a lot of it.
1: Just to clarify that, for those who, since this is a news podcast, (laughs) I'm sure there are tons of OU fans and and college athletics fans out there, but for those who maybe aren't, the, the, the college football playoff currently has four teams, and they're potentially planning a big expansion to 12. So even a team that doesn't win the SEC or their respective conference could probably make it in.
3: Yeah, right now you've got to pretty much got to win your conference in order to get in. Now there can be exceptions to that, but very rarely, uh, and, and certainly that would be much more difficult if if OU moved into the SEC to do that. They've made the playoff a lot in recent years, but that uh, move to twelve with the parameters that they set up, which are uh, no automatic qual or uh, no conferences champion automatic qualifying, the top six conference champions. Uh, qualifying automatically into the playoff uh, made this uh, a move that made a little bit more sense than if it's a a four-team playoff and uh, getting into the playoffs when you've got to beat Alabama uh, would be really, really difficult.
2: I do think it's going to be something that Oklahoma fans and, frankly, administrators, coaches, athletes, are probably all going to have to come to grips with that they aren't going to win as much, not just in football but in all sports. I just don't see how they can have an increase in competition in a lot of the sports that it, that they really are good in, not just football, but you're talking about women's gymnastics, softball, some of those sports that have won at a national championship level, you're going to be facing a lot more competition in conference. So are they still going to win? Yes. Are they still going to compete for national championships? I suspect so. But 12 wins, 11 wins for football? That's going to be a little harder to come by in the SEC.
3: Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about it that uh, the record is going to take a little bit of a hit when you look at the the competition being so much greater. Same thing in softball. I mean, they had that uh, winning streak. Uh, which stretched what to forty? Uh, I think it almost got to fifty games. Yeah, it was uh, closing in on a record. And then what do they do? They go down to Georgia, an SEC program, and it gets snapped. So um, yeah, the the balance of that though is it prepares you for the postseason in those sports in a way that uh, they haven't been able to. Uh, heck, especially in uh, uh, softball and women's gymnastics. Uh, but and it also nets you a boatload of money.
0: Why is the, the payout so much better in a 16-team SEC conference than the Big 12, which has 10?
3: Yeah, it, it, it's just the, the eyeballs that those places draw. And you look at programs like Alabama, like Auburn, like Georgia, like Florida, like Texas A&M. These programs all have these massive fan bases that just eat up every single game of theirs that's on TV. And also the SEC culture eats up itself, and people watch those, those big games, not only in the, the southeastern part of the country, but around the country. I mean, the, the television ratings show that. Um, and the same thing with Oklahoma and Texas. Oklahoma and Texas have those kind of programs that draw eyeballs regardless of who they're playing, where they're playing, and when they're playing. And uh, I, I think adding all of that, uh, the, the payouts just sort of multiply uh, because of that, and, and clearly that's what ESPN's thinking because ESPN is so much a part of this from both sides. The deal with the SEC, the I think it was a $3 billion uh, deal that got signed uh, a, a year ago that goes into effect here in a couple of years. Uh, but also uh, ESPN's ownership of the Longhorn Network and the money that, that, that they owe Texas uh, uh, here over the next 10 years for that contract.
2: You know, it's interesting, too. The SEC teams do draw so much attention on TV. But even when they're not good, they're an attention grabber. You know, you think about uh, you think about Tennessee football, which hasn't been good for a long time. Uh, you think about LSU, which went from a national championship two years ago to a losing season last year and those teams are still interesting to people because they're fascinated by what what's happened here. They may not watch an entire game like they might watch, you know, Alabama an entire game, but they'll still tune in and when you have those rivalries, those uh, you know, Mississippi Mississippi State, again, games that aren't necessarily uh, the fans of those schools paying attention, but people are interested and they will watch. And so, yeah, what Ryan said, it, I think across the board with maybe the exception of Vanderbilt, uh, people aren't necessarily yeah. all that interested in Vanderbilt football. So <laughs> At you know.
3: Vanderbilt and Kentucky. Uh, but really beyond that, I mean, heck, the, the next two schools you probably put were the, the two Mississippi schools and they've had some success. They have fascinating coaches right now uh, for sure. Uh, and, and they have uh, they're in a state where all of the attention is on those two programs. I mean, it's a lot like Oklahoma pre-Thunder.
1: Yeah. Well, you talk about Kentucky, just wait till basketball season. Then the Oh, interest yeah. Is gonna...
3: ba- ba- and basketball is a fascinating component of all of this because they sort of go into the SEC has sort of been a worse basketball conference than the Big 12. But like the Big 12, they have that one behemoth uh, in Kentucky, although the the SEC basketball has improved. It's gotten better uh, in recent years.
1: So just like there's a lot of money to gain by joining the SEC, there's a lot of money that the remaining Big 12 teams could lose if OU and Texas leave. Jenny, talk about what this means for OSU and the other Big 12
2: teams who are left behind. Yeah, lots of questions right now to be truthful about the Big 12 and the remaining teams that uh, are still a part of this. You know, they, there's been public comments made by the Big 12, by Commissioner Bob Bullsby that indicates that the teams intend to stay together. They intend to try to figure out a path forward. But clearly, as Ryan was talking about the TV money and the interest in the SEC, when you lose OU and Texas, um, OU obviously winners of six straight uh, football conference championships. Texas, not successful necessarily across the board the last decade, but Because of the burnt orange, because of the symbol, because of who they are, people still pay attention. So uh, to lose those two schools, you're likely to see uh, the the broadcast partners want to retool the TV deals. And they may say, hey, unless you bring in how many ever more schools and here's who we like, there may be a lot less TV payout. We don't know yet. But then there's also the question of, are the schools really going to stick together? Because as you start to see this uh, mega conference move, you know, before when the SEC was 14, you know, that was, that was on the high side. Now we're going to 16 in the SEC. Does the Pac-12 try to follow and maybe add four, including Big 12 teams? There, there are some teams that they could probably look to add out of the Big 12. Does the Big 10 try to poach? maybe some of the schools that are on the more northern edges of the conference. We know that there are conversations happening that's being reported around there um, amongst other conferences and some of the remaining schools. So what happens is a lot up in the air at this point because we don't know if they really truly will try to stick together. Um, I think if they do, if they find a way forward, there's a great chance for the football champion out of the Big 12, even one without OU in Texas, to be in the college football playoff. As Ryan mentioned with the 12-team expansion, the proposal is that six conference champions, the highest-rated six conference champions, would be automatically in. So even though the Big 12 wouldn't necessarily be uh, in that Power 5 realm-like SEC is kind of stands alone. ACC with Clemson being the bell cow there. That's a those are kind of the two right now that people are chasing. Big Ten is 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 there as well. But even if they're not in that stratosphere, they still have the the you know the cachet of being. Uh, some of these programs that were power five, I think they would still have a great chance of having the champion in the playoff. And that's a big question moving forward.
3: Yeah, Jenny, I do too, but I think the money disparity is going to be too much for some of those schools. I mean, you look, I saw it reported and I, and I wish I knew off the top of my head. I think it was CBS sports, but not hundred percent sure. The the ratings for non OU and Texas big 12 games were very similar to Mountain West and, and uh, American Athletic Conference type of games, and that payoff goes down to you know the the five to seven million dollar range. That is a big big disparity, and I think there are going to be a couple of those programs among the eight remaining that are going to have options, whether it's Oklahoma State and Texas Tech uh, to to the Pac-12 or or Kansas and Iowa State. Uh, to the Big Ten, West Virginia with the ACC. And honestly, I think that's a big part of uh, how the timing gets figured out in this. It's when one of those other eight schools or a couple of those other eight schools decides to break off and, and make their move official. I think that timing gets sped up uh, really quickly when, once that happens, and I expect it to happen.
0: Let's talk a little bit about reaction um, to this news. We're we're a few days past the uh, the announcements, and and by now everybody knows about it and are looking to uh, those the people in charge uh, to see what they think. OSU President Casey Shrum had some strong words about OU in Texas bolting to the SEC. Uh, we heard from Bob Stoops in our very own newspaper, although he's not uh, I don't think he's directly tied to the program right now uh, with with a job. Have we heard from people like Mike Gundy uh, or other big 12 um, representatives uh, in, in regards to this?
2: It's been kind of muted at this point. Um, I think for the, for the remaining, well, actually for both sides, we have not heard a lot from uh, non-official uh, statements and that sort of thing from either OU or Texas. Um,
3: OU especially. Yeah. I mean, it's been really locked down. Uh, on on that side, and I, I think that they want to be cautious about what they say um, because of potential for lawsuits and just the messiness of all of this that you see come out in uh, you know what Trump has had to say uh, o- over this last week, uh, but it, it, it's going to be interesting to see what they do have to say once they're finally talking. We'll see if they talk on Friday after the regents' meeting, um, but uh, Outside of OU in Texas, we've seen at least a little bit of reaction.
2: Yeah, for sure. And and Casey Shrum probably had some of the strongest reaction about this decision. The, the new Oklahoma State president not even on the job. A month yet and you know she and Chad Weiberg who also hasn't been on the job a month yet both facing one of the, the bigger moments probably of their entire tenure no matter how long they stay in their current jobs which is crazy to think about but you know I think that the the truth is is that I understand the I understand anger frustration whatever emotion you're feeling if you're a fan of one of the eight teams that um, is, is looking to be left in the in the Big 12 but You know, if if they had the opportunity to make that much extra money, it would be almost impossible for anybody to turn down. Because, as Ryan said, you're talking in excess of potentially 20 million dollars extra every single year for OU and Texas and every other school in in the SEC. So to think that somebody could, you know, conceivably say. Yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. I mean, we know what a big expenditure college athletics at the major college level is, and so I think if anybody in that position, you know, they would do it similarly. And it's just it 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 surprised everybody, and I think that's part of the equation too. Ryan mentioned OU being really locked down and really not hearing anything from anybody internally. They spent a really long time on this and kept it very, very quiet for a good reason because once it started to go out to even a few other people, when the SEC alerted Texas A&M, suddenly the world knew because Texas A&M said, we're not keeping this quiet. Well, OU and Texas knew they had to keep it very, very quiet as they were doing their fact-finding and figuring out if this was going to be reasonable, legitimate, if something could be pulled off. The truth is, if the difference would have been $5 Five million dollars, eight million dollars, ten million dollars. To us in this room, we would jump at that chance. <laughs> but if it if it was that if it was that number, I think OU in Texas would probably say we'll stick it out. That's yeah. not the money we're talking about. And,
3: here. and I I think it's important to point out, especially to this audience that might not be wrapped up in the day to day thing. Uh, uh, Jenny is. Uh, college athletics, we all know, is is uh, such a big money making I- endeavor. But uh, at a lot of these colleges, uh, they're uh, they're they're funded uh, from the academic side. There are only a handful. I, I think uh, I'm not sure what the exact number is, but it's seven or eight athletic departments that are fully self-sustaining. OU is one of them, and I, and I think that's important to Joe Castiglione, that's important to the department, and protecting that moving forward, I, I think, is uh, a, a part of why this move is being made.
1: We realize this story is still developing, and there might be even more news by the time this podcast episode comes out.
3: <laughs> well, I've got Twitter open here right now, just <laughs> keeping an eye to make sure that nothing else happens. but
1: Just in case. But Ryan, in a general sense, what has to happen next for OU and Texas to officially make the move to the SEC?
3: Well, on Thursday, SEC presidents and chancellors are expected to meet and vote. Uh, on the proposal for to add OU in Texas, that uh, vote is expected to be uh, either 14 to 0 or 13 to 1. It sounds like Texas A&M is going to go ahead and vote for it and making it unanimous. Uh, generally, the SEC is operated like that, where it's okay. We're going to have our arguments behind closed doors, but once we open them. Uh, we're going to present a united front. And I think that's probably what's going to happen on Thursday. Uh, And and then uh, OU's and Texas Regents are going to talk about it on Friday, would anticipate that sort of being rubber stamped. Uh, So I I think those two things are happening. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The question becomes timing, Uh, the, the negotiations, buyouts, what the other eight programs do. Uh, That's going to decide the path moving forward uh, from here.
1: I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, OU in Texas notified the Big 12 on Monday. They will not renew their grant of media rights when those rights expire in 2025. So that would set the groundwork for OU in Texas to go to the SEC in 2025. And that's the initial proposal right now. But there's speculation that they might leave even sooner than that. No pun intended. What would it? (laughs) What would it take for them to switch conferences before 2025?
3: Well, first of all, I don't know that there's anybody uh, that that's connected to this thing that expects it to take till 2025. I think the question is just how quickly can it happen? Um, I would anticipate it happening as soon as next year, 2022 football season, potentially 2023. Uh, but uh, as far as what it would take for for uh, that to happen, for it to happen quicker than that 2025, it's going to be about the, the negotiations of that buyout amount and also how many of those other eight teams are able to stick together uh, to uh, basically take advantage of that buyout amount. There was a report uh, yesterday, and I'm talking on Wednesday, from uh, I believe it was Chip Brown, uh, 24-7 writer from Texas, who said that, Uh, The Longhorn Network is owed from ESPN for the remaining 10 years of their contract uh, approximately $160 million, which miraculously lines up with what the buyout is projected at right now, which is about $80 million per school. The report is that all of that money would go toward the buyouts for both OU and Texas, uh, so OU would not have to pay anything. And I think if OU doesn't have to pay anything, and really Texas doesn't have to pay anything, Uh, on their books now because, uh, yes, they'll miss out on that $160 million, but they'll make it up in the SEC fairly quickly. And I think that that's why sort of all of this has come together.
2: The irony of that for (laughs) you, my dear podcast listener, is rich because It was about, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years ago, the Big 12 had a commissioner named Kevin Weiberg. He's the uncle of the current OSU athletic director, and he wanted the Big 12 to create its own network, wanted to set in motion uh, a, a giant network to cover all things Big 12, go out, get the money. Which is what the SEC has, right? The Big 12 said no. The SEC eventually did it, but out of the Big 12 not doing it, We got the Longhorn Network, which ultimately sent Texas A&M to the SEC, which split. uh, Although,
3: which initially kept the Big 12 together for longer than it may have been because otherwise Texas could have made the jump to the Pac-12 OU. There was that group of teams that was going to make that jump. The
2: Longhorn Network did that. Right, n- not the big, not the fact that they didn't start the Big Twelve Network.
3: Right, and by the time the Big Twelve decided, eh, we're going to study, really study having the Big Twelve Network, all of a sudden conference networks didn't make sense anymore because people were cutting cords and and things like that. And I, I think that they were sort of on the the edge of the the digital rights landscape with uh, what became uh, Big Twelve Now, I guess on ESPN Plus. Um, so it, it's interesting to think about how much the media landscape has changed uh, just over this last decade with uh, the talk of the Longhorn Network and the SEC Network and the the move, cord-cutting moves, uh, things like that, much more streaming uh, involved in these things. And I think, yeah, at one point it kept the Big 12 together. It's ultimately, gonna, though, going to drive the Big 12 apart especially with uh, the revenue uh, system that they had where all 12 were, were equally sharing because at one point, OU and Texas sort of got outsized uh, shares of the revenue because they produced outsized shares of that revenue.
0: You know, I really love it when sports writers have to write about finance and politics. <laughs> well, I was I, told I, there'd be I, no I, math. I, I hope I'm making sense with, with any of that, Dale. <laughs> Well, certainly, um, you guys have both kind of talked about this. I want to circle back. So, if both OU and Texas leave for the SEC, that leaves a that leaves a, a gaping hole in the Big Twelve. You know, I'm sure there have been plenty of jokes about how the Big Twelve isn't twelve teams anymore. Maybe, maybe they go back to being called the Big Eight. Um, it's already the nation's smallest Division One conference uh, as a number of teams. Where do the other Big T- 12 teams go from here? Do they look at other conferences or welcome uh, additional teams into the new Big 12? I know the Big 12 has uh, affiliate members, uh, mostly, I think, for wrestling, um, that uh, you know they come over to, to, to Big 12 schools to compete. Um, are, are there any clubs out there, any, any programs that uh, would seem like a natural fit?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting question. Uh, about five years ago, the Big 12 – did something that at the time was a little bit of a head-scratcher, and and then it became more so when they got to the end of it. The Big 12 basically let it be known around college athletics that they wanted to know who wanted to be included in the Big 12. They were talking about expanding. So they put out the all-call. Some schools spent a lot of money making presentations, plans to present to the Big 12 to say why they thought they belonged in the Big 12. And what you had were teams that were in that next tier of conferences, but maybe they were playing uh, some high-level football, or maybe they were playing some high-level basketball, and they saw benefit in getting into the Big 12, taking advantage of that revenue sharing, which would be so much higher, and maybe seeing if they could elevate their program. We heard that somewhere around 20 schools applied, the Big 12 cut it down to about 10, and in the end, they said no to all of them. And it angered a lot of the schools because they'd spent money to try to convince the Big 12 they belonged. The Big 12 said, nah, we don't think so. Um, But things have changed. And I don't – at the time, they had OU, they had Texas. They could say no. Now, you don't have OU. You don't have Texas. Does it look different now? Does Houston suddenly look better? Does um, does Cincinnati look better? uh, Central Florida, maybe even BYU – Um, There have been schools that have been talked about as potential expansion of Power Five conference candidates. Does the Big 12 go that way? I don't know. Again, it goes back to what we were talking about before. Do some of these other Power Five conferences make attempts to go and get Oklahoma State, go and get Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa State? I think that remains to be seen. But if that starts to happen in a real and meaningful way, I think it's a lot more likely to see the Big 12 splinter than stay together.
3: Yeah, I, I to me, I think that's what's going to happen because I do think that Kansas is going to have options, uh, likely the Big Ten. Kansas and Iowa State are uh, AAU members, which has been such a big uh, sticking point for the Big Ten. Uh, I've heard that it's not quite as big of a deal now, but certainly uh, would make geographic sense for those two and, and just sort of the culture of, of those two places. I think you know Oklahoma State. Like I mentioned uh, Texas Tech ha- has ties uh, with with the Pac-12, so could see them uh, going there. I, I just think the, the money differential from having a chance to do that, especially if you got a chance to go into a league like the Big Ten, which is uh, you know right up there with the SEC as far as revenue shares every year. I think it's going to be too much for a program like Kansas, especially, uh, to turn to turn down, and West Virginia with their geographic isolation. You know, if the ACC makes a run at them, not only do they get a, a better geographical situation, but more financially stable, and their biggest rivalry with Pitt uh, gets back put back on the table. So I just think with all of these eight. Uh, having such different interests, such, such different outlooks that it, it's eventually going to turn into a game of musical chairs. Some team is going to get left standing team or teams are going to get left standing, probably not be a part of what we think of now as the power five, probably be power four after this whole thing is said and done. Uh, you know, I, I look at a program like Kansas State. Uh, as a team that uh, Kansas State and Baylor to me are are two of the teams that you sort of uh, wonder about if they're going to wind up getting left out in this whole thing. But I think other programs are going to have more attractive options than sticking together.
2: The thing that I, the one thing I wonder, and I don't know if the Big 12 will do this, but if they wanted to do something that could potentially they could find a maybe unwitting ally in a way. Um, They're, they're partnered up uh, broadcast wise with Fox and ESPN, Uh, ESPN, which is also ABC, but ESPN, obviously they have the SEC, they have the ACC. Um, So they're in good shape for their football uh, broadcast. They have a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, options when it comes to games. Fox, they've there, the big 12 isn't the only thing that Fox has, but it's one of one of the one of the conferences that they they do feature prominently, and if Fox felt like if the Big Twelve splits, they lose some of their foothold. And if we see these conference start conferences start to go supersized, if everybody goes sixteen, eighteen, big, 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 we're starting to talk about broadcast deals that would look more like the NFL than the, than college football has looked. And if Fox is at all worried about that and they want to put the brakes on it a little bit, maybe they become a partner to say to the Big 12, okay, here's what we're going to do. I don't know if they're going to do it. I don't know if the Big 12 wants them to do it. I don't know what's happening behind the scenes. But that's an interesting side note to this whole thing, because while the TV money, the broadcast money is a huge reason why this is all happening in the first place, it might be one of the things that could potentially keep the Big 12 together.
0: Now, this doesn't just affect football. Um, Football is probably the most visible, rightly or wrongly. But you've got uh, athletic departments full of athletes in various different sports, both men and women. What uh, What do OU fans think about the move? Well,
3: I think when you look at it uh, overall, and we talked about softball and women's gymnastics uh, in particular, I, I think uh, it, there's a lot of people who are pretty fired up about it because of the visibility of the SEC, especially given the new uh, name, image, and likeness uh, regulations, which allow athletes to, to benefit monetarily while they're in school. And, and I think there's, there's little doubt that, like Lauren Chamberlain, uh, Kailani Ricketts, um, Maggie Nichols yeah. would have been able to to take advantage of that in very substantial ways, and, and Jocelyn Allo uh, recently, um, and with the 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 visibility of the SEC in, in those sports in particular, uh, I think there's a lot of people both inside and outside the program. When uh, I talk about you know inside the the athletic department and fans. Uh, that are fired up about the possibilities of this. I think there are some worries about the the competition level, uh, things like that. But I think those things have gotten drowned out really quickly because of all of the potential benefits uh, that uh, trickle down, uh, including, as we talked about earlier, just the preparation for, for the postseason. And I don't think, when you talk about the football side, I don't think OU's Potential to make the playoff gets uh, uh, diminished very much at all when you move to the 12-team playoff as soon as 2023. And in other sports, it can certainly be a big, big boon.
2: Yeah, and I think Ryan's right about, you know, two women's sports that have become, you know, very, very big at OU. We see giant crowds for the women's gymnastics. Same for the softball. Obviously, great momentum behind those teams. I think they're going to see benefits to being in the SEC. Again, like Ryan said, competition will be more difficult. Wins will be harder to come by. But I think in basketball... Big 12 is, has become a top heavy basketball league, really good with Kansas Baylor men, Baylor women, but I don't I, I think that I think the basketball is somewhat of a wash as it relates to fans and and possibilities for those teams. Baseball is much more difficult in the SEC. Yeah, I
3: think to me OU baseball is one that could suffer yeah. because of this. And not that OU baseball has been just, you know, fantastic, but they've been able to jump up and, and make their mark at times. Uh, I I know, obviously, they were one of the ones that was really hurt by the pandemic year because they had their best team in a long, long time. That season got ended, and a lot of those guys moved on. But uh, the reality of SEC baseball is a whole lot different than Big 12 baseball. But, uh, yeah, in in most other sports, they're going to be in pretty good shape. Uh, Basketball is one that's going to be interesting. SEC has gotten a lot better. Uh, when you talk about just uh, top-down competitiveness uh, with Alabama, with Florida being uh, more competitive. Auburn's jumped up and, and played some pretty good ball. Arkansas under Eric Musselman. But the Big 12 has been the best uh, college basketball league in America really over the last decade. Uh, you know, Apologies to the uh, ACC there. has mm-hmm. been really good as well. Uh, but I think it's very clear that those two have sort of been Far and above over the rest of them, um, but uh, that gap has been lessened. You know, we'll see if it continues to lessen with a couple of programs who made big investments into their basketball programs in the last few months, and clearly knowing what was coming uh, in OU, hiring Porter Mosier from Loyola and Texas, uh, taking Chris Beard away from Texas Tech.
1: When you talk about the millions of dollars involved in these TV deals. Uh, the, the conference realignment that could bring a, a gigantic financial windfall, NIL starting to allow college athletes to make money of their own, given their status. How much longer can we keep up the guise of amateurism <laughs> in college sports?
3: I, I mean, to me, it's gone. Um, And I think the NIL was sort of the last blow. And you knew it was coming with the the Alston case with with O'Bannon and some of the things that we've seen and just the reality of the way people think differently about uh, athletes rights now. Uh, than, you know, we did 10, 15, 20 years ago, where it was just, okay, this is the system you're entering, you've got to play by these rules, uh, and, you know, sit down and shut up about it. That's not the case now, as it relates to money, as it relates to, uh, you know, social justice, uh, really everything, so much more focus, uh, mental health, uh, when you talk about that with athletes, so much more focus has been on the, the well-being of the athletes, what's best for them versus what's best for, you know, the the greater good of, uh, of college athletics. And I think uh, college sports just has to find a way to fit into that reality rather than try to cling to, uh, you know, what it has been for so, so long.
2: Yeah. And I think that's a lot of what the NIL is, is that you know, there is there has to be some change there. And I think that, you know, I don't know where this ultimately goes. I don't know where it ends necessarily. But, you know, you just look and I think that I think the pandemic, too, has sort of reminded us of, of this. You know, there there's there's already a gulf between uh, how football at OU looks and how football at Duquesne looks. Um, you know, there's there's it, it's it's still college football, but it's vastly different. So, is there going to come a point when you see that upper echelon of college football, which is where all the money is, and so that's that's where you start to talk about these things? Does that group somehow sever off? And I don't know what that looks like, and I don't know if that ever happens. But to me, that's a real question that college athletics is going to have to think about at some point because it, like Ryan said, it doesn't. It, it it's gone. Like that 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 guise of amateurism, um, just the the power that you know, these athletes have to potentially earn their their schools, their programs, millions of dollars. And I don't think that can be ignored anymore. Um, and, and I don't think we should ignore it. I think we should be paying attention to that. And I, I just think we're slowly making our way towards something that looks even different than what we see right now.
3: Yeah, and I, I think that that's going to happen. You know, we had the first step uh, that uh, towards that with the autonomy Legislation that came out a few years ago. You know, we'll see if the Big 12, uh, if it does stick together, is able to stick with their their uh, autonomous label that the Power Five sort of split the Power Five and the Group of Five into two different groups. I think you're going to continue to see stratification uh, in, in college athletics and the haves and the have-nots. Uh, and at some point, it's going to make sense for those haves, so-called haves, to uh, go a different route. And uh, go more toward like a pro model than uh, schools that are going to hold on to the, uh, the thought of the student athlete, even in light of all these NIL things and the, the thought of you know, what college athletics has been for so long. I just think it's uh, gotten to a point where it's sort of untenable to think that those groups uh, can be managed under the same umbrella.
0: We're running short on time, but I, I did want to ask this uh, one question quickly. Um, uh, when when, or if OU moves to another conference, um, how will it be hard for OU to preserve its bedlam rivalry with OSU uh, if they're having to play them in a non-conference game?
2: Well, yes, absolutely. And I don't know what the future for Bedlam looks like. Um, It's going to require both schools to commit to keeping the rivalry going. Um, And we have heard from OU sources that they are interested in that. We have yet to hear that from OSU. Um, So I don't know. I don't know if it will continue or not. But, yes, it would have to be in a non-conference situation, um, not just for football, but for everything. But frankly, um, I know that feelings are hurt right now, uh, especially for OSU fans, the way this has all happened. I get that. But I think I think that there is a a path forward for 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 Bedlam to happen. Maybe it doesn't happen right away. Maybe there's a, 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 a buffer of time. But I don't I don't think there's that deep-seated hatred that we've seen cost some other rivalries. When Texas A&M and Texas stopped playing, they just flat almost couldn't get in the same room to even talk about the possibility. And while right now that might seem far-fetched among OU and OSU people, I think there'll come a time where that can happen. So I think and, – and, and the fact is it's not just – football is obviously the big part of Bedlam, but – there's great Bedlam basketball and softball and baseball.
3: and. I mean, to, to me, as someone who grew up in this area, Bedlam was much more important in basketball and baseball because it was so competitive mm-hmm. versus uh, football. And, of course, I grew up in the, the 80s and, and early 90s, um, but uh, those two Bedlams were, were such a big uh, part of you know my college athletics experience and growing up as a you know and as an observer and a fan, and now I think softball has reached that status certainly with what Kenny Guyeski has done up there in Stillwater, but I, I think it's going to be difficult to maintain. But I also think if it's used right, it could be used as uh, the path forward to to get this timeline moving along. That hey. Oklahoma State, if you'll you'll help us out on this, you know we'll we'll keep uh, this this bedlam as a, an annual thing because eventually, uh, like money caused this divide, uh, money can bring them together and the realization that they could make a whole lot of money by playing uh, bedlam uh, really across the board.
1: No bedlam would be a major major loss to the state of Oklahoma and college athletics if it doesn't happen. Thank you so much, Ryan and Jenny, for taking us through what is a, a groundbreaking shift in, in in the athletics sphere. And thanks for joining us today. Sure. Thank yeah, you.
0: Thanks for having us on. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week. This podcast is possible because of the Oklahomans subscribers. We encourage you to subscribe if you can. You can read these stories and more every day in the Oklahoman and at Oklahoman.com check back next Friday for a new episode.